What are you watching? I saw you use your remote control to hit something off. Um, nothing. Watching it. You put it on mute. Edwin, you can't lie to me. There's just, there's no, you're not a poker face person. What are you watching? Okay. All right. Well, you want to know, Craig? Okay. I'll tell you. I, I, I didn't watch the movie. I just, I just put it on right now. Okay, Craig. All right. Is so that what you want to do? You, what did you put on? What did you put on right now when you're supposed to be zeroing in on the podcast recording? Easter promises. Oh, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to watch it while we talk about it. Yes. Have you ever seen it? Uh, no, 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 I have not. Welcome, Secret Movie Clubbers, to Secret Movie Club Podcast 75. Today, we are talking about Videodrome, Eastern Promises, and David Cronenberg. Videodrome being middle period Cronenberg, actually, and Eastern Promises being later period Cronenberg. And I'm really excited because Cronenberg, actually, as we speak, is shooting Crimes of the Future, which everyone is guessing is a remake of one of the very first movies he ever made called Crimes of the Future, starring Viggo Mortensen. And the synopsis sounds like it is a remake. So I'm really curious to see what Cronenberg's going to be saying about the beginning of his career towards the end of his career, and who is with us today? Hello, it's Daniel. Hey, it's me, Carl Lloyd Cruz, the People's Champion. Hello, America. Yeah, that's it. As always, it's wonderful to have you. This Friday, when you hear this, we are going to be doing Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear, which is fascinating because I love both versions of Cape Fear. It's a remake of the Gregory Peck, Robert Mitchum Cape Fear. But Scorsese's Cape Fear is very Scorsese in that it deals with sin and it deals with mistakes and a family being torn apart. And Robert De Niro is sort of an effed up angel of vengeance. That's going to be on 35 millimeter. Saturday, we do our first evening time million dollar theater Halloweenathon. We are going to be doing Tim Burton's Sleep. Hollow, I think a super underrated Tim Burton movie. One of my last beloved Tim Burtons for me. And then Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, which is also on 35. And then uh, next Wednesday, we are going to be doing Fassbender's Satan's Brew on 35 millimeter here at the Secret Movie Club Theater. A lot of people think it's one of his funniest movies, definitely made as a very sort of dark comedy about a blocked artist who convinces himself that he's the reincarnation of a romantic German artist. And then Thursday, we are doing our first Halloweenathon double bill at the Secret Movie Club Theater. We're doing this amazing 1922 silent movie called Haxen, which is basically about devil worship and witchcraft. It was made in Sweden. And then we're following that up with the movie that definitely borrowed a lot of imagery or was inspired by a lot of imagery from Haxen. Uh, Robert Eggers' amazing debut movie, The Witch, which I think is one of the great horror movies of the last 10 years. Come join us. We would love to have you. And as always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. You can find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. We did do The Fly. Uh, in fact, we've done The Fly twice. But other than that, we haven't done any Cronenberg until this last weekend. Universal gave us two archive prints, which was really amazing. And I don't think we've talked about Cronenberg on the podcast. No, I don't think so. So in this wonderful way that cinema is, it's just like a beautiful bottomless ocean. And no matter how deep you go, there's still amazing movie makers and amazing movies to discover. And it's amazing that we're a year and a half into podcast recording and we've never talked about David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg's a Canadian filmmaker who started making movies in the late 60s. His first few movies, Stereo and Crimes of the Future, a lot of people haven't seen. And I have heard I haven't seen them and I want to see them. I've heard that they're decidedly very esoteric. They're like really interesting, but they also find 
find Cronenberg maybe with one foot in the university, one foot in the filmmaking world. Then he sort of broke through with this mid-70s movie called Shivers, also known as They Came From Within, which Connor Lloyd Cruises, one of his favorite directors, James Gunn, appropriated a lot for when, uh, what's the name of that slug movie? Slither, which almost used the cover art from Shivers for its cover art. And Shivers was about this weird slug in this Torontonian apartment building that causes everybody to become sexually unhinged. And it becomes a metaphor for maybe sexually transmitted diseases, maybe uh, the 60s, 70s free love. But Cronenberg is not at his best. He's not you can't really tell where he's coming from on the political spectrum, which is actually, I think, one of his strengths. It's just a very bizarre, wonderful, weird film. And that instituted this period where Cronenberg was really owning body horror. And I heard that that was because he, unfortunately, he and his sister had to watch their parents die two really horrible, slow deaths from cancer. And Cronenberg has talked about being a caretaker for his parents and watching them die, I think made him an avowed atheist. And then also, as a way of exercising that experience. Uh, There was a lot of body horror movies that came out of that. He then did in quick succession this movie starring porn star Marilyn Chambers called Rabid, which we're showing, which is actually sort of a riff on Shivers. In this one, it's a vampire zombie thing, but it's also got the sexually transmitted thing going for it. It gets a little more apocalyptic than Shivers. And then he made a movie called The Brood, which we're also showing, which really launched almost his middle period, which became about he was going through a horrible divorce. So he channeled that. And it was about a man who is estranged from his wife, who is undergoing this radical therapy that seems to be destructive. And then these children are killing people around Canada. And you find out that it's all tied into the divorce and the woman and the man and their divorce. And it's horrifying. From there, Cronenberg started to make international productions. The Dead Zone, he adapted Stephen King. He did Scanners, which has a famous head explosion. Maybe the best head explosion of all time. And Scanners was so popular that the producers went to Cronenberg and they said, hey, baby, we want your next movie. And Cronenberg said, "Okay, I got this weird idea (laughs) about, you know, cable and TV and snuff movies, but I really want to do it my way. And the producers were like, hey, don't worry about it. Scanners made a boatload of money. As long as it's got some scanner stuff in it, we're going to give you the money. So Cronenberg went, he wrote Videodrome starring James Woods and Blondie's Debbie Harry. It basically deals with a TV producer, kind of a seedy TV producer, Max Wren, who's trying to find the next big thing. He he shows uh, softcore porn on his channel, which actually was a Canadian thing. And I can say was also, I lived in Prague when I was 18. No one told me about this, but at 10 p.m. they just showed softcore porn on network. TV in Prague. And I was like, what is going on? And they were like, you do not do this in America? I was like, no, not not on network TV, on cable, on Cinemax, Cinemax for sure. Tons of softcore porn, but not like on our three big channels. And they're like, oh no, the kids go to sleep. So at 10 p.m. (laughs) it is... It is the porn. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I guess that's something they did in Canada. And uh, so Cronenberg basically was thinking about snuff films. He was thinking about where cable would go. And he, he and let's just stop there. I, I don't want to overtalk it. I love Videodrome. It's one of my favorite movies ever. Cronenberg is a director who I really, really like. But I think Videodrome is the one movie of his that I, I truly love. I don't know if any movie nails the sort of truly hallucinatory 
ramp up that it goes through like no movie escalates in the way that Videodrome does in such a tight like 88 minutes or however long it is and there's some truly disorienting cuts that are done on purpose I think the cut from and this won't really be a spoiler when he's in Barry Convex's office and he has the headset on and he has that vision and then it cuts to him in his bed. It's so strange and startling and the movie concerns uh, James Wood's character, Max Wren, starts having these hallucinations and you find out why. And we're from his point of view pretty much the whole movie. And so we're seeing the world as he's seeing it. And I think the movie does a great job of putting us in that mind space and letting you kind of figure out what's real, what's not, and just disorienting you in in a way that is really interesting and enjoyable in its weird way and fascinating. Yeah, but the same, I love a lot of Cronenberg's stuff. Videodrome's so interesting because I think it's, he's always had before this one what I've seen a lot of body horror stuff, but this sort of seems to be this thing where he starts to, almost have this thesis statement of like what can the human body do to a degree that's kind of jarring and i really like that it is like plot be damned almost like this is about the experience of it and sort of like this moment to moment thing versus like a plot that kind of makes sense because i don't know if i could really tell you everything it's about but I feel everything. It's kind of interesting because the main character loses their agency. Like, I mean, this is kind of a spoiler again, but like two thirds of the way through the movie, the main character kind of stops having any agency. And I mean, it's, it's, I would say it, it falls in the realm of like the horny movie, but it also is sort of used as like this, the seduction of everything that's being offered to you. And it holds up really well in rewatching it. It's interesting because we lit now that we're in the streaming age where we have access to things like never before. It sort of has come back around as being really prevalent again. And you could almost, I'm sure people are writing a bunch of great essays about how it works in the realm of, of streaming where something like Netflix can literally feed the stuff into us and we digest it and we never think about it. It just sort of gets in our head and moves through us, just constant content. Like independent porn stuff. I mean, just being very genuine about people are now just making pornography with their boyfriend and getting all this money through all these websites and stuff. And so it's it's interesting. Videodrome feels like a warning that like a warning that he had to have in the 70s that we never listened to. Videodrome is honestly one of the greatest horror movies of body horror ever made. This is one of David Cronenberg's second greatest film he's ever done. First being Dead Ringers. I saw Videodrome about three or four months ago. I was bored and I wanted to I was doing a trend of body horror. And I ended it with Videodrome, and that movie is just amazing how all those practical effects be achieved. And especially with the Flesh TV is probably one of my favorite parts in the movie. And I like uh, James Wood's character as he, like, barks into insanity as he goes and barks on this strange journey with this cult or whatever is happening with the tape. And he just, like, got him under control, and his hand is a gun. His body is out, like, like... A flesh tape or something is this incredible this is incredible I I, I, re- I really love the practical effects this movie are incredible it just 
brilliant. That TV effect when he smushes his head still looks like incredible. It looks like flawless. I'm guessing that's that's got to be like a rear projection or something they're doing there. Well, and, and the special effects are done by special effects genius. And we're going to be doing our next episode, actually, will be uh, pieces of cinema uh, special effects. So as a little teaser, this was done by Rick Baker. And it was back in that age when it, it had to be practical effects, uh, like The Thing. And so, you know, whereas now probably people would push you to do these crazy ideas Cronenberg had digitally, everything that you see in the movie, you're really seeing. So as everyone's intimating, there's this very famous image of James Woods pressing his head into a TV and kissing Debbie Harry's lips. And I can only imagine that the screen was maybe some kind of balloon material that they're inflating out so that he can push his head in. And as you're saying, Connor, they're projecting from the back onto it. But it's just super effective because it's real. He's really embracing it. Stephen King once said, that when people would ask him about certain novels and who he thought could direct them, he would say, well, the two Davids. And uh, he meant David Lynch and David Cronenberg. And even though he knew that David Lynch and David Cronenberg would probably not direct a lot of his material because they were people who wrote their own stuff, I think that's a real nod from one master of horror to two other masters of horror. And whereas I think David Lynch comes from a more transcendental place, a subconscious transcendental place. I think Cronenberg's horror is fascinating to me because it comes from a very secular place. Cronenberg has gone, has said again and again, he is an atheist. So his horror is not about God or his horror is not about transcendental levels of existence. He's finding his horror in things that happen to us in our existence that we all go through, whatever our beliefs are. And one of the things he said about body horror that I thought was interesting was that he views technology as an extension of biology. And what he meant by that, and I never thought about this, was that we make the technological things. So we are biological creatures and then we create these technological things. And so he just makes the leap that technology is just an extension of biology. So then why not combine them? And so as everyone was hinting at, Videodrome has all these weird images of James Woods develops a vaginal orifice in his stomach, which is like a VCR. And David Cronenberg is really good, I think, and really brave in blurring gender roles and blurring gendered sexuality. And that becomes really uncomfortable to you because a man is experiencing vaginal intercourse in a way, and James Wood is. is. And so David Cronenberg was fascinated at what he felt was the BSness of snuff videos, where I guess some famous producer, and I don't know who this guy was, or maybe he was a guy on a TV channel, offered $50,000 for somebody to produce a real snuff movie. Not produce it as in make it, but like show me something where we can verify. And snuff being someone dies in what you're saying. And no one could produce it. And what it was discovered was that people were cleverly faking and calling it snuff to make money, but nobody was really dying in it. And David Cronenberg's point was that the snuff genre, people were being hoodwinked about it. And he said now in this later interview in the aughts, he said, now you can watch snuff anytime because, you know, terrorist groups will post beheadings and we consume them. And he said, you know, we've gone beyond the fake snuff film. Now snuff is readily available. Or even just watching videos of our own police kill our own citizens. Absolutely. Yeah. I think Videodrome in this weird way is this very prescient bridge between what now seems almost quaint 
in terms of trying to find the new thing to what it's become. And I think the other interesting thing about Videodrome to me, even though I think it's open to interpretation, and I think there's some ambivalence about what's happening to Max Wren. I think the other thing that's really interesting about Cronenberg is I think he almost seems to be ambivalent about if we melded with technology, would that just be a painful evolution? Or is that a horrific thing, a thing we'd want to avoid? And he he's very good at being ambivalent about that. You can't completely figure out what he's trying to say. But I do look at Videodrome essentially as I don't want Max Wren's fate. But it seems to also get at this thing of where you consume something so much that, Connor, you were saying it, you no longer have control over your existence. And I think that there's something in Videodrome, even though it's an early 80s movie, about how I feel we are now with our computers and our phones. It gets more and more dispiriting to me to walk around in the streets and just see everybody with their head in their phones. And if you tell people you're addicted to it, they're like, I'm not addicted to it. And then they go right back to it. And I see people in their cars reflexively looking at their phones. I talk to people. A lot of people wake up. The first thing they do is look at their phones before they go to bed. They look at their phones. And I think there's something about technology and addiction that Cronenberg gets at in Videodrome that I personally find interesting. I think the funniest thing about it is I was going to make a joke and say that like, it's like sad that James Wood died so long ago and didn't become some sort of weirdo (laughs) but it's really funny in context that james woods is now a sort of like hashtag maga obsessed twitter troll which feels like him succumbing to another kind of cult which is such a bummer because he's such a good actor yeah it is a bummer it's a huge bummer i just think we've moved into a thing where where content is king and so we're continually taking in everything and that is like our our worldview is dictated by the insane amount of stuff we have access to and are constantly funneled through whether it be fiction or like this podcast this podcast (laughs) or even like i mean if you're someone that scrolls on twitter at night just constant information The second half of the double bill was not exactly what you would call an organic double bill. If you were doing Videodrome, it probably would have been more organic to show Scanners or Dead Zone because they were made around the same time or do Videodrome in the fly. Existens. Existens would have been a more organic. Absolutely. Because uh, the fly or Existens definitely continues body horror. And you would see him going to his next thoughts on body horror. But we did Eastern Promises partly because... I could get these great prints from Universal, but also partly being who I am. And there's a paradox here, and I've said it many times, because many people could argue that Catholicism is just a 3,000-year-old cult or a 2,000-year-old cult. And they would have a lot of things to say about all the ridiculous beliefs in it and yada, 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 and body horror. Talk about body horror. But the interesting thing is that Videodrome, to me, represented somebody who succumbs to a cult or succumbs to a code of a cult. Eastern Promises, which is this really fascinating later period, 2007 movie directed by David Cronenberg. He did uncredited rewrites on it, which he's done on everything that he doesn't get script credit for. But it was written by a very famous British screenwriter who did Dirty Pretty Things and some other things. It follows this really fascinating story about a woman who comes into an ER. She's 14 years old. She has a baby. She dies. And the midwife, who's played by Naomi Watts, 
Watts finds a journal and wants to sort of figure out what happened and stumbles into this almost hermetically sealed world of the Russian mafia in London. And we know what trouble she's in because she blunders into telling the mafia boss his front is this Russian restaurant and he poses as this grandfatherly owner of a Russian restaurant. He's played amazingly by Armin Mueller-Stahl, but we know he's like the mob boss. And she reveals she's got this journal. And then one of the bodyguards is played by Viggo Mortensen, who has gone on to be kind of a Robert De Niro to David Cronenberg. They've done a lot of movies together. They're doing the most recent movie they're doing together. Um, Mortensen is this bodyguard who has kind of a homoerotic relationship with the mob boss's son, played amazingly by Vincent Cassell. And so the movie then becomes about Naomi Watts, who's on the outside of this world, and Vincent Cassell, Armin Mueller-Stahl, and Viggo Mortensen, who are on the inside of the world. And then there's a reveal, which we're going to have to get into. So if you don't want to hear it, maybe watch the movie and then listen to this part. But then there's a reveal late in the movie that actually Viggo Mortensen is undercover and that he is in this world, but he's in this world as an undercover cop. And you suddenly understand his behaviors in this really fascinating way. But what's interesting is that both Naomi Watts and Viggo Mortensen, who we're supposed to, I think, empathize with, they represent people who actively resist a cult-like code, which is very prevalent. And I think, I don't know if it represents a change in Cronenberg's thinking or it was just a variation or what he was doing. That was the first time I watched it the other night. I thought it was really, really good. Uh, Vigo, uh, Daniel's friend's dad, was great in it. <laughs> There's an incredible fight scene in the movie where Vigo's just fully nude, fighting people in a bathhouse forever. And it's incredible. But I liked it a lot. I feel like that... 80s Cronenberg is a little stronger for me. This feels a little more muted in certain ways. Definitely stylistically, it feels a little more generic other than that big fight scene and some of the more graphic moments, but it's really good. I like Eastern Promises a lot. Uh, it's interesting kind of going off what Connor said about these distinct Cronenberg periods. Eastern Promises does feel, I saw someone describe it as deceptively generic, and I kind of agree with that because it's it's this very structured screenplay but is all about these details and the moments that sort of break into the Cronenberg you know that it's sort of you're reminded of sort of the experience that you're having but I think there's this interesting everything about the the dynamic of the Russian mob and stuff like the tattoos and all these little things that make the payoff work is that all of these details matter and you've sort of been being presented this world in all of its little details in the same way that when you once the reveal happens, it makes a lot of sense because that detail is important to understand how someone like Vigo's character could infiltrate it and make themselves someone that could be trusted. Because I think a lot of times the undercover thing is always like, oh, how, how, what would it take to get yourself in this? And you realize that there's a lot of work's been put into trying to help you understand what it would take. The performances are insane. Like you were saying, I think Vigo's a standout, but Armin Mueller-Stahl is so good. I guess I'm not super familiar with a lot of the stuff he's in off the top of my head, but he's a very incredible presence. He's, he's like a Fassbender guy, right? Yeah, uh, he is. Yeah. He was in uh, Lola and Veronica Voss, German actor, and then he came here and did a bunch of character work in Barry Levinson movies, but in many movies. And he was in Night on Earth, uh, the Jarmusch film. I also think the ending shot, Cronenberg to me, I associate a lot with sort of how I feel at the end of his movies, which is never great. <laughs> and this really keeps that up. It's just sort of this like, just whatever you're, whatever height you're at, it's just kind of like diminished with the final shots of his stuff sometimes, which I guess is why they stick with you for so long. But yeah, I think it's, it's dope. I think it, it has the, the makings of something that I think directed by someone else could have been relatively generic, just in terms of subject matter and scripting structure. 
but Cronenberg does some interesting stuff with this. I think kind of, I felt the same way about History of Violence, where he's doing, he's making these interesting decisions in what he's making and making them kind of his own while still maintaining that they feel more accessible, but then also a little bit, he's not afraid to toy around with some of this stuff. Like that, the bathroom fight is kind of a thing where it's just a jarring, but appropriate. It doesn't feel like outlandish. It feels warranted within the realm of the world that's been presented. And I think it's great. It's like a harsh, violent, and bleak affair. Edwin, given what you've seen out of the corner of your eye about Eastern Promises, do you have uh, any thoughts on it? What do you think of what you've seen of Eastern Promises? Uh, it's a pretty, uh, pretty good picture. It's a pretty good picture. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, Viggo Morrison, he's, he's pretty badass. I just saw the... The bathroom fight. Uh, that was um, incredible sound design. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, w- I wish I could have heard the sound, but I'm reading off the subtitles. <laughs> yeah, you could have if you had watched the movie prior to us recording the podcast. I'm watching the freaking movie. I had to buy it yesterday on Amoeba. We actually played it in 35 millimeter at the. Yeah, uh, I know, Daniel. Da- Daniel, Daniel, you could go to hell. Well, you were outside watching The Lost World. I was watching Ransom. All right. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Now, anyway, Easter Promises. I love it. It feels weird. Not seeing horror, and it's weird seeing a movie by Cronenberg that's non-horror. But it's interesting. I like it. I like it a lot. And some of the kills in his movie are still Cronenbergian, uh, especially where there's a lot of slit throw. I don't, I don't know why there's a thing. There's actually only three explicit scenes of violence in the picture. Two of them are the assassinations, the hits, and then the bathroom fight. Yeah, the, when, he, when he stabbed a dude in the eye, like, oh, that's like, oh, oh, why? You crazy Russian bastard. The scene when they're dealing with that body is also not great. And then actually when the poor teenage prostitute, you know, hemorrhages and the baby. I mean, they're, they're, they're still... Cronenberg all throughout the picture. I think what you guys are saying, you've hit on it. Eastern Promises is one of my absolute favorite Cronenbergs. And it's weird because as Daniel and Connor have have hinted at, there's something generic about the story (laughs) about an undercover cop and the Russian mob and this woman who's... And yet, I think that Cronenberg does this amazing thing where as you guys were saying, he somehow gets at a Cronenbergian truth beneath the surface of something that seems like it could be bland. And there's something so unsettling about what's beneath the surface that I'm pretty obsessed with it. I think that that last shot, as Daniel's talking about, is that Viggo Mortensen has to stay in the world. So even though he is in some ways successfully extricated Naomi Watts from it and things have resolved in some ways from where we were at the beginning of the picture, this person who has decided to go undercover and play a part is in some ways so good at what they do, they're forced to continue playing the part. And it starts to feel in some weird ways, as much a prison as the body felt in earlier Cronenberg. And there's something he seems to be saying in Eastern Promises about if you're really good at pretending to be something, you will get imprisoned in the thing that you're pretending to be with no escape. And I think that in some ways that's even more applicable to all of us. And I love it. I tend to love the restrained Cronenberg uh, maybe more than you guys. I mean, my other, I, I, we were talking about this. My favorite Cronenbergs are The Fly, which is not restrained, but amazing. I love The Fly, Dead Ringers, Eastern Promises. Existence is actually one of my favorites. That's sort of in the middle. But as much as I admire some of the way out there body horror Cronenbergs, I think that a history of violence 
tends to be history of violence and Eastern promises feel like siblings. Isn't there one more movie with Viggo Morrison that's also violent? If there is, that means you could almost call it his violence trilogy. Well, he did A Dangerous Method, which is not. That's like corny people trying not to be horny. I love A Dangerous Method, but it's again Cronenberg sort of surprising you. It's about Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. And what's interesting is I think he's on the side of Sigmund Freud. And when I watch the movie, I'm completely on the side of Carl Jung. So, but it's a, you know, there's a famous story, which is a true story, where Freud and Jung broke and Freud and Jung were sitting in a room and it's in their journals. There's this wood snapping sound. And Jung says, I knew that was going to happen. I knew that was going to happen before it happened because I believe in God and because I believe the universe is channeling and archetypes and stuff. And Sigmund Freud is like... No, you didn't. There's a completely rational explanation for why you think that, that it has its basis in your neurology and don't pass off this mystical stuff on me. And that's where they deviated. And Jung went in a mystical way and, and Freud was vehemently, vehemently anti-mystical. But it's a fascinating picture. You, you know, I think you could probably segment Cronenberg in his Canadian body horror his 80s international phase where he starts to do all these departures then his 90s phase well why I, one of my favorite films i uh, crash that's embarrassing to me that we haven't brought up crash i think probably in some ways the summation of everything he's done and then his restrained aughts period and then his robert pattinson period which was only two movies and now we'll see where he's at like so many great directors this is just a beginning podcast we will come back to cronenberg we will talk about his many many masterpieces uh, and there you go culture final thoughts edwin i've been watching stuff uh, i started watching a tv show surprisingly on hbo max this is up right up the alley because you know since you're a jewish person and this character is also a jewish person that flats out acknowledge it uh it's curb your enthusiasm yes larry david yeah larry david uh, 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 what? Wait, larry david is jewish that's first that's the first i've heard of yeah it. no idea he's pretty funny he's, he's pretty funny yeah, it's a pretty good show it's like the offspring of seinfeld but it's just larry david just you know i don't know how to describe it is this a funny ass show and the way they make it is fascinating too because they actually just have the premise and they improvise every scene yeah, they do I, I love it i've been really getting into the comic book invincible which there was a animated show created earlier this year that became like a meme and that's kind of why I got into it, but I still haven't watched the show yet. But it's a great comic. It's kind of like a just about like a kid whose dad is Superman and he starts to get his powers uh, when he's 18. But it's very modern, but also not like anti-superhero in the way that I think like Alan Moore could sometimes and not sometimes always be. It's a little more reconstructive than deconstructive. Uh, reminds me of Grant Morrison's stuff a lot. It's a really, really good, really violent but very, very good comic. And I'm I'm way ahead of where the show is now. And so I feel like I know all these like little secrets that like all these people who are just watching the show. I've never never had that. Yeah, and you can watch me play video games at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz. I finally sat down and watched James Wan's new film, Malignant. Oh, what's your take? I thought it was great. Yeah, everyone's talking about this. It's interesting because I, I could see it being kind of divisive. It's sort of this 80s slasher aesthetic, but blended with like a giallo film there's kind of a central mystery to it and i just think it's very cool that this man directed an incredible slate of horror films from saw to the conjuring etc and then he did furious seven and then he did aquaman can probably do whatever he wants and goes back to like this very small horror piece that 
I read a thing that his wife pitched the general idea to him. She had like a dream that came to her about it. And the creature design of this sort of central figure in the film is one of the best things I've seen in a long time. It's very unnerving the way it moves and exists. And it kind of lets him blend his normal horror traits. I think he's very good at with sort of his action stuff that he learned from Furious 7 and Aquaman to a really interesting effect. And I was very, I was very taken with it. I thought it was great. I want to see it because it's actually the point of conversation for so many people. People uh, love it or hate it or they like this or they then they a lot of people talk about some sequence, which I'm sure you know about where they're like, and that's where it lost me. And other people are like, no, that sequence was the best thing in the movie. So it's interesting to hear a movie that is really getting people talking. I mean, so if for no other reason, good on you, James Wan, for creating a movie that got people talking again. I am currently reading... William Shire's The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich a number of years ago, I got really into trying to catch up on my history, and I, I love history. My dad actually was a junior high history teacher, and that was the job he was the happiest in his life, and he imparted in me a love of history. And I'm doing it also because we're doing Fassbender, and Fassbender, a lot of his movies deal with fascism and post-World War II Germany, but also how do we prevent it from happening again, and what is fascism, and how can a whole culture be taken by fascism? And listening to it, it is so unsettling how if we don't have curiosity, you know, I think people have said, I don't necessarily think that history repeats itself. I don't believe that. If history was that easy, I think we could avoid a lot of things. Someone once said history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, which I thought was interesting, which is that each thing that happens is different than what happened before. But if you're a little more aware, you can sort of see it happening. You still have to make decisions on the fly. It's never one for one. But when you, you listen to the rise and the fall of the Third Reich, which covers all of Hitler's life, essentially, but specifically focuses from the 1920s through uh, the end of World War Two. One of the things that's most unsettling, and I'll just focus on this, is William Shire was a U.S. correspondent in Berlin in the 20s, 30s, and early 40s. And he said the most unnerving thing to him was when the Nazi propaganda machine started, he had access to the London papers, to the American papers. He was a journalist who had been taught to question things. But he said even he got sort of cognitive dissonance because what would come out of the Nazi papers and the Nazi radio was just repeated over and over and over and over again. And he said that one of the biggest things of cognitive dissonance was everybody in the world knew that Hitler wanted to invade Poland, but the way that it was being reported in Germany was that Poland was attacking Germany. And Hitler was saying, if Poland continues to attack Germany, we have to defend ourselves. And I think there's something really important for us to understand that it's never going to be easy to know when bad politicians or bad actors or bad governments are lying. It's incumbent upon us to not accept things at face value and to study things. And William Shire said, even as a journalist, the onslaught of propaganda would almost get you to be like, well, wait, what is going on? And I think it just makes me really, really aware that we are responsible in our lifetimes for what happens and what's going on and for countering it and standing up to it. And there's no excuse if we know something is going on and we, we don't actively study and actively use our agency and free will to say what's going on. And it's just been very, very unnerving to me because the creep to World War II was a 20-year creep. It didn't happen all at once. So I highly recommend that people read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. It's just as important today as it was back then. So that's, that's what I'm reading. To 
come back to what we're doing. We're starting our Halloween-a-thon. So when you listen to this, Cape Fear tonight at the Secret Movie Club Theater. Thank you guys so much, as always, for everything you do and for being part of this podcast. Next week, you are going to hear us talk about another pieces of cinema with a special guest. Who's our special guest, Connor? Ashley Sansbury, who's my buddy and who's a special effects makeup person. And I can't wait to have her on the show. We are going to be doing another pieces of cinema, this time on special effects, dovetailing with all our horror movies. Stay tuned for that next week. As always, our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz, edits everything you hear and does an amazing job of it, makes us all look good. But when you have people like Daniel and Edwin who love movies and are wonderful people and bring their spirit and their personality, they make it easy. So thanks to all of you guys. I will see you next week for Secret Movie Club Podcast 76, Pieces of Cinema, Special Effects. Have a good week, guys. Is it, is it me? Is that like a Borat Mario thing? I don't know. I'm tired. All right. I haven't eaten breakfast because I don't know. I'm hungry. Are you thirsty too? No, actually, uh, I, I drank the whole gallon of water. Good for you. That makes me so happy. Because yeah, I have no Coke. So. Oh. I have no Coke, so I'm forced to drink water. So. Like a peasant.